Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons, certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with multi-passionate women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and managing life in the modern world. Hi everyone. Hello you, you listening to this. I'm so grateful to be with you this week and I'm so happy to be here. Honestly, this has been one of my favorite things since the beginning of this year, starting this podcast, getting to know you, getting to know these women who I interview, their amazing vulnerable stories around their relationship with food and their bodies and just a lot of the things that we don't get a chance to express in our everyday lives. And so I'm I'm really just having a blast on this journey of um, hearing these stories, sharing these stories, connecting with you, and especially right now being in social distancing mode and isolation and, and all of those things, um, having the opportunity to connect virtually has been one of the best parts that has come out of this entire experience and really just finding the opportunity to connect with people who I'll just speak for myself. I personally haven't connected with in a while, whether that's friends or family or people that I've just lost touch with, um, speaking more with clients, just our community, this podcast community. It's just really warmed my heart in the biggest way. And, and I hope that you're also, making uh, the best use of this time too in that way because like I have been saying, you may or may not have heard me say this, but I really have been looking at this opportunity, this time as an opportunity to make lemonade out of lemons because why not, right? It's all about our mindset. It's all about how we choose to show up in our day and the energy that we put out is the energy that we get back. So it's really important to feel the feelings that are coming up, experience, um, and not sweep them under the rug, but also to move forward and to take action and to realize that you have a choice and your mindset is one of the best, most powerful ways that you can start with that choice. That being said, I have a really, really special interview that I am just so excited to share with you today. This is the first time that I've ever interviewed a client. And I chose Sherry specifically because ah, she's one of my favorite clients that I've ever worked with. I love all of my clients to death. Really, they just bring me so much joy. I'm pretty intentional about the women that I choose to support. And I just always want to make sure that it's a good match when I work with somebody so that they get the best results in this process too. And the moment that Sherry and I connected, I knew that it was a soulmate client and that she was going to have a big transformation. And so I just am really excited to share her story with you. And this was this was one of the first times that I heard her story in this way that she expressed it. And so it was really great to be able to hear that. And I'm, I'm so glad I got a chance to record it and share it with you. But we, we talk a lot about our relationship too, and what it was like for her to 
ask for help and ask for support and the vulnerability that comes with that because Sherry is a pretty courageous, um, independent woman. She's a writer. She's a dancer. Um, Sherry told me that she loves finding the rhythm in a sentence or a step, which, hello, how beautiful is that? That just expresses her creativity so eloquently. Sherry started performing with a small tap dance troupe when she was a child and later danced in community theater productions and with the University Dance Theater Ensemble at the University of Houston, where she earned her Bachelor of Arts in French Language and Literature. And after a year spent teaching English in France, she worked in a variety of spheres from public education to corporate and nonprofit administration. Now she's a dancer with California Rhythm Project. She also serves as the company's general manager, and she is a freelance copywriter for a few small businesses. Sherry mostly enjoys writing and creative people and the work that energizes them. And this conversation is just touching on all of that and so much more. One of the best parts of this conversation that I really um heard her express was not fitting the typical dancer mold and the comparison that really came along with that. And that really was the beginning of her body journey, self-awareness and experiencing joy at a really young age. She also shares the story of her college sweetheart who turned out to be her husband and their journey of deciding to not have children, which I was incredibly curious about. And I really wanted to, I appreciate her vulnerability with this so much because I, I think this is a conversation topic that has been coming up a lot with my friends and my community, and I'm sure yours as well. Fear of beginning her food and body healing work and the underlying fear of failure with that, which I'm sure we can all relate to as well our personal coaching relationship and her food freedom journey. And Sherry also shares her personal experience of battling cancer and the power of community. This is such a powerful conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you feel supported through this. We dive into so many things that are just not typical dinner table conversation. And I really appreciate her heart in sharing this. And I, I hope that you feel like she's your friend afterwards because she just has one of the biggest hearts and souls that I have ever been around. And I'm really grateful that I get to share her with you and her story. Um, that being said, if you feel like you need some extra support right now, please check out the show notes. You can book a food freedom breakthrough call with me where I really diagnose exactly what is going on and strategize how to actually move out of pain with your relationship with food and your body. We get really specific on what the roadblock is that is keeping you stuck in a diet cycle, in a binge cycle, in any type of emotional eating patterns. Um, that's what the call is for. So please feel free to take advantage of that. I also have a food freedom guide. If you feel like you need some support with just building that trust back with your body and confidence around food and are just sick and tired of dieting, but don't really know how to step away from that. That is a great free resource for you. That's in the show notes linked with all of the other information from this podcast. And I will leave you with that. I hope you enjoy this conversation and I hope you have a great rest of the week. 
if you could just start by telling us what your first body awareness moment was. So that first time in your life where you felt like, oh, I'm in a body and this means something in our culture and our society. Well, actually, my first body awareness moment was, it was not so much body as it was brain. Um, I can remember being a child and lying in my bed and not quite ready to fall asleep, but I was supposed to be falling asleep and realizing that I I had some agency and I didn't call it that when I was a child, obviously, but I had control over things and I, I could move in the world and do things and act and have an effect on things. And it was kind of astonishing to me to have that realization that I, I was a physical person that could do physical things. I wasn't just a, a little girl that people told what to do. I could actually decide for myself. So that was my first moment of being aware that I had a body that I had control of and I could do things with. Um, so, and that was a, a, that was a powerful one. That was very exciting to me and a little scary, to be honest. I was a little, you know, because if you know you're in control, well, then you can mess up. <laughs> you can do the wrong thing or, um, it, it was a little, yeah. Um, so that was probably my first awareness moment. Um, as far as my first awareness of a body that might be an object, um, it's hard, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to pinpoint an exact time, but, um, around middle school, you start being aware of things. And honestly, those kinds of moments tended to be a little on the uglier side. Um, you know, a creepy man in the bookstore <laughs> who brushed up against me and I, I looked around to see the big crowd behind me that had made him have to walk that close that he would touch me and there was nobody back there. It was, you know, and so that was, a, that was maybe the first awareness of a, of a, body that was an object that people would react to and men would react to in a, mm -hmm. in a difficult way that was difficult for me um, mm -hmm. to handle. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so valuable being able to explore that and, and just super interesting in retrospect with everything that we're talking about in society right now. And, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd love to explore that a little bit further and and I'm curious what was your relationship like with your friends back then like when you started to have this awareness that your your body meant something in this new way um were you guys having conversations about it was it a part of the girl talk were was the circle of friends that you were running in really engulfed in diet culture or trying different things with food? I think I was a little bit of a late bloomer as far as that went. Um, when I was in middle school, I was a little girl. I mean, I was still, I, my, my body wasn't a little girl anymore, but um, the kinds of things that I was into, it was still very much little girl things. And um, 
you know, making crafts and um, we liked going to the mall uh, and shopping, but it wasn't, it wasn't really about uh, what we looked like so much as, you know, colors and, and choosing and, um, you know, seeing in movies, people wore interesting things. Of course, you know, there was Madonna and that was <laughs> very exciting. Uh, yeah. Seeing all of that. So um, I don't remember how old I was when she was really popular, but I can remember being young and um, being excited about, about how different she was. Oh. Um, it was when I got into high school, I think, that I started to be aware of body. And honestly, I don't think we talked about it very much because I was a dancer. And okay. so these things were just understood. You just knew you were supposed to be thin uh, to be on stage and to perform, and I wasn't. And um, so I think my friends didn't really talk about it because it would hurt my feelings, um, which was nice of them, I guess. But, um, you know, getting, getting bigger all of a sudden, which is kind of how it happened to me, I think between, you know, eighth grade and ninth grade, I just turned into a much bigger person very suddenly. And um, it was, uh, it took me a little while to realize it, I think. To, to figure it out. But then I knew I, I didn't really fit the mold of what a dancer was supposed to be. Mm. Um, so I, I still love dancing and I still love performing, but I, I knew that I didn't look right. Yeah. That, that's so interesting. And I, you know, full disclosure for everybody who is listening, Sherry and I know each other well from working together in a professional space and, um, her testimonials on, my website, you know, I've had the opportunity to coach you before and everything. And that's why I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation because it's, it's so powerful and it's so inspiring to let people have a glimpse into your backstory and your journey and how far you've come in this process. And also just a through line that this reoccurring theme that you're not alone. We are not alone. We're all going through this. We're all having these unique experiences that are so deeply connected to one another at the same time. Right. So I just, I appreciate you, you sharing this so much and, and starting to really explore this part of your life. Um, how did you deal with that? Like, how did you, my gosh, being told that you're not in the right size body, quote unquote, for something that you are so deeply passionate about, which you are. I mean, you're still a dancer right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a huge part of your life. It is. It, it like, is. paint a picture of that. Like, what were some thoughts that were going through your mind? How did you handle that in terms of any type of way that you you felt like you were controlling food or your body or or were you not so um my way of dealing with um unpleasant things for most of my life until maybe the last 10 or so years was to avoid it and ignore it <laughs> and not think about it and i i had a few strategies for that um 
but my, my number one thing that I would do was read a book. Mm. Um, I would immerse myself in someone else's life and not think about my own, not think about the things that made me unhappy. Um, when I felt bad, I would just leave my world and go into someone else's. And that it, it was just um, escape. It was a way of getting, getting out of something that was uncomfortable or difficult. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so interesting. And I think it's, uh, I appreciate you saying that because I think that it's something that we do a lot now um, in, in terms of being in this social media era. It's so easy to pick up our phones and just start scrolling and become invested in someone else's life versus the stuff that we're going through uniquely. Right. And, you know, whether it's an Instagram account or a book or a movie, that, that idea of escaping from the reality of the situation is just it's so powerful. And I think that it is such a common thing that we do. And so how, how do you feel like that, um, that translated into you moving into college and just continuing with dance and the atmosphere that you are a part of in that part of your life and, and all those things and just kind of moving into that next phase, that next chapter of your life? Um, honestly, those, those habits of avoidance, um, they continued. So I just kept dancing. Um, I kept, um, working to be better, um, going to more classes and rehearsing and doing other things in my life. I also had an academic major. I majored in French, so I had those studies also to occupy myself and I just kept going and I, I think I ignored, um, I ignored anything that was difficult and I, I did enjoy my college experience. I had wonderful friends and we, we didn't really, we didn't really talk about our bodies, um, together. We indulged, uh, in ice cream and beer, (laughs) not at the same time, usually, (laughs) um, uh, you know, in the typical college way, um, and we had a good time together, but we didn't, we didn't really talk about how it felt to be a woman. And I, I think maybe it was, a, it was a slightly different time. So, of course, we had, we had relationships and our, you know, our first, first serious relationships. And, and um, two of my college roommates um, are married to their boyfriends that they had at the time. And I, I actually married my college boyfriend too. So the relationships that we were developing then were, you know, they became serious, but it was, a, I think it was a little bit different time uh, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, thinking about your body and your relationships with men and your, you know, the girl talk. It, some things just weren't said. Yeah. Can you, I I love that we're going here in this conversation. If you feel comfortable, can you peel back the layers of that a little bit? So what, what were conversations like at that point in your life with your circle of friends? Like what kind of things were you guys talking about more of rather than a lot of the things that we talk about more so now? 
So that was a long time ago. <laughs> I have to think about that for a minute. Um, a lot of it was, uh, was career plans. You know, what, what did we want to do with our lives? What did we want to be? Um, we were together trying to figure out uh, a professional path and how to get there and how to do interviews and what, what was possible, uh, what jobs could women do. And when, when we were thinking about getting married, were we going to have children? Were we going to be moms and stay home with kids? Or were we going to try to have a professional life? So those are the kinds of things that we were talking about when we weren't talking about movie stars or, sure. or just frivolous things, things that were happening on campus. Um, sure. Sure. What did you want to be at that point in your life? Do you remember? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I knew what I didn't want to do. I did well, not want to be too. Yeah, I didn't want to be a teacher because my parents were both teachers and my sister, who was two years older, knew she wanted to be a teacher and I didn't want to do that. Uh, but then I ended up doing that for a while. So and I loved it. I, I loved teaching. Um, it, it just, the way my life circled around, I didn't end up um, doing that for a long, long time, but I, I really did love it. But in college, I wanted anything but I wanted to do something exciting and maybe travel, uh, maybe work in uh, the television industry, but behind the camera, not in front of it. And I, I was trying lots of things um, at the time, but I, I, as it turned out, I, I did love French, which is what I was studying and, and minoring in English. And I ended up going to France and, and teaching English in France. And then I came home and I taught English and French um, back here. Mm -hmm. And then we started moving around and I did a lot of really random things um, that had nothing to do with my degree <laughs> or any particular career plan. So, uh, And were you still dancing while you were doing all this? You know, most of the time I was. Um, my, so I, I did study ballet when I was younger, but I as we said before, I did not have the body for that. So <laughs> I kind of abandoned ballet. Um, and I did a lot of modern when I was in high school and college. And um, I also always loved tap. That was my favorite. And that's what I'm still doing now. Um, I still take an occasional modern class for just for the joy of it. But what I'm doing now is tap dancing. But um, even when I lived in France, I, I danced with a, a a tap dance troupe in the oh. town where I lived. Um, and when I came home from France, I was really involved with work and I was so busy teaching, um, so busy with my career that I, I didn't dance for a while, uh, but I did still take an occasional modern class just for fun. So it was always there, uh, even when I couldn't find a, a class that I loved wherever we were living, maybe I took ballroom or something just for fun, just to keep moving to music because that always, it always fulfilled me. It brought me joy. It, it took me out of my day-to-day -day problems and it, it just, it just made me feel good. Mm -hmm. So I always tried to find a way to incorporate that in my life. I, I love that you're saying this so much because this is something that I see a lot in 
in terms of just the conversations that I have often with clients, with friends, how, what I know about, about myself, even, um, the thing that I feel is so inspiring by you sharing this is you were so self-aware of what this joy was in your life. And rather than trying to find something else to fulfill that joy, you just went after it and continued to implement this in your life while releasing the perfection of it as well. You do, do you know what I mean? Like you took the class. Yeah. You didn't feel like you had to do this all or nothing of, oh, I've got to be a competitive dancer or not at all. Walk me through that because I think that's so interesting. And I think that's hard to do just feeling like you can be um, giving yourself permission to not be the best at something and still really get a lot of joy out of it. How did that yeah. feel for you? So, um, so when I was dancing, there really weren't competitions. This was not a thing. Um, dancers performed. It was an art form. So it's a little different world to me. Um, and I, I started performing when I was maybe 10 years old. I, I loved it. I loved being on stage. It was absolutely delightful. And I would take any opportunity I could to do that, um, whether it was musical theater or tap dance or or modern dance, um, being in the dance company in college. So, so for me, I guess, um, one thing that I always kind of liked about my own performance was that I really felt like a solid member of the chorus or just a solid ensemble member. I could contribute. I was reliable. I knew my steps. Uh, I could, I could be in the group, in the ensemble, and help create a, a good performance. So I never felt the need to be a soloist, to mm -hmm. be a star, to be particularly visible out in front. And so for me, that was the thing that made it something that I could do. Even if I wasn't the right shape, mm -hmm. I could just be in the group contributing. And so I think that was what made it okay for me to not be the best, to not be perfect, was that I knew I was good enough to um, just to make a contribution that would give a good performance to an audience. I love that. What did that mean to you, being able to give that contribution? You know, there is, I don't know if I can explain, there is just something so special about being, being on stage and and doing something that you love, moving with the music, with your fellow dancers, and doing your very best to project your energy and your love for what you're doing and your joy out to an audience and feeling it come back to you from them when they feel it. It, it just, it's a, it's a circle of energy that is like nothing else. And I, I just, I just loved it. I always loved it. I still love it, <laughs> even though sometimes I'm tired and I don't want to dance anymore. <laughs> um, it's, it, I still love that feeling of, of giving my joy to the audience and having them give it back to me. It's, it's really special. I love that so much, so much. And I think it's so inspiring and truly just, I love that you're sharing this story um, I think it's incredibly empowering that you did not let someone else's decision of your body get in the way of 
you pursuing this joy and this passion and these dreams. And so often we, we do allow someone else's opinion to dictate the path that we really feel like is the, the next step in our life. And for you to just completely show up for yourself in a different way and say, I'm doing this. It doesn't matter what you think. Maybe I'm not a ballerina right now, but I'm, I'm expressing myself in another way that feels really good. Did you even have the self-awareness back then to realize that you were kind of going against the grain in that sense and really just owning your confidence at that point in your life? You know, I don't, I don't think so because I, I didn't feel confident. I just, I knew what I was capable of and I knew that I wasn't good enough to be in a, you know, a a big show. I couldn't, I couldn't go to New York or LA or I I was not good enough for that. I was good enough to, um, to perform with a a small company or a small ensemble on a, a local level. I knew I could do that. Um, and so I didn't really, I guess I didn't really, really think about it in terms of um, confidence because there's, you're always comparing yourself to someone else. And sure. so that, that, that's one of the worst things about being a dancer. And that was something that I always did. So even though I got a lot of joy out of performing and I knew that I could make a contribution, I always knew I wasn't the best. I always knew there was a company that I couldn't get into because I wasn't good enough. I could see an amazing performance and delight in the brilliance of the dancers on stage and at the same time feel sad that I couldn't do that myself. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of teeth (laughs) in dance (laughs) biting at you, but um, I guess, you know, that, it's, it's nice to be able to have joy even, even when things can be difficult. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also think that you have just grasped that in so many other areas of your life too, traveling to France as well as all of these other cultures in the world. And you're this amazing writer. And um, I would love, if you're comfortable sharing, I would love to talk about your relationship with with Bruce your husband because i just think that i'm kind of obsessed with you guys i think that you're adorable and have this just like kid like romance that has stayed with you for so many years um i wasn't even anticipating asking you this in the conversation but i just feel like it's right so what Take, take us back. So you guys met in college, right? We did. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What was the, do you remember him meeting? Do you remember meeting him the first time? You know, I don't remember it um, because our friends were friends. So we, we lived in the, the same dorm and we just knew all of the same people. So we would see each other in the cafeteria or at a party or on the quad or on the way to class or just hanging out in somebody's dorm room. We just knew each other. So, um, I don't, I don't really remember when I met him exactly. Um, and, but I don't know, we just, we just had a good time together. Um, we both really like to laugh. And so 
things were obviously not always lighthearted, but that was one of the, the most fun things is when we could just, just laugh about things together and have a good time. Um, and I, I will say for, you know, for our relationship, it's, it hasn't always been super easy, but um, we don't have any children. And so we've always just been able to focus on the two of us. And that is pretty nice. So yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's having children adds so much joy to your life. But when you don't have that, you can, you also can focus a little bit more on your, on your partner, on your spouse. So that, that has been um, something that we've been able to do. Did you guys know that you, did you always know that you didn't want children when you first started dating? Is it something that you talked about? Um, we talked about it and we were, we were going to have children. Um, we thought we would have two. <laughs> that, was, that was our plan. Um, and, you know, gradually after, after we got married, we just later, you know, we'll, we'll have two children later. Um, and it, the time just never seemed right. And eventually we both realized that it just probably wasn't ever going to be the right time. And it just wasn't something that we really, really wanted. Um, so luckily for both of us, we were on the same page. Um, and we both said, if you want kids, we'll have them. <laughs> and the other one said, no, no, if you want kids, we'll have them. But we, it just, it just turned out to be the two of us. So that's, um, that worked out pretty well. actually. Yeah. How did that resonate with your group of friends or just your community or your family making a decision like that? Do you feel like you got a lot of pushback or did you feel left out at all? Um, I, I, as you know, you know, we're deciding if we want to have children or not, my husband and I. And so I'm always so fascinated by the decision-making process in choosing to have a family because it is, it's a choice for, for, for women and, and also right. our partners as well too, um, whether or not we, we want to have kids. And so how did that show up for you in, in your social circles? So I think, um, probably most of the people in our life, um, thought we should have kids. <laughs> I think my parents probably thought that, but my mom was very insistent that it was absolutely 100% our decision and she was not going to put her nose in our business. Um, but I, I, I know she wanted us to have kids mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure his parents did too. Um, and his family, we had a, a funny conversation with, um, some of our nieces and nephews. We have nine nieces and nephews on his side of the family. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them. And we, we would always play with them because we didn't have any kids. We didn't have to worry about it. So we could go outside and play with the kids. And they asked us when we were going to get married. And by this time we had been married for years. <laughs> we're already married. They said, but you don't have any kids. So in their mind, you get married and you have kids. And that just wasn't, it just wasn't what we did. Um, so I think our families would have preferred us to have children. Um, but they, they've been really really supportive. Nobody has, has, um, suggested that we made a bad decision or has pressured us really. Mm -hmm. And, um, Bruce's mom always gives a present to our dog at Christmas so that we won't feel left out when she's giving presents to all the grandkids. So oh, I think it's adorable. So, um, our parents anyway. do that too with our dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and my parents love our dog too. So they, you know, that having a dog is, yeah. It's a baby. Yeah. It's our baby. 
um, and I, I think our friends maybe, you know, at different times had different thoughts about it. Um, but there's no, there's no pressure. And I have a lot of friends who don't have children, a lot of friends who aren't married. Um, you know, it's, I think it's a lot easier now to make a choice that works for, for you as an individual rather than doing what's expected. Yeah. So, well, I totally agree. And since we are at different places in our lives, I'm curious, do you feel like you gravitated towards other women or social circles that didn't have kids as a result of this decision? Or did you feel like it just was a natural progression of your life? Yeah, I, I have lots of friends who do have children. Yeah. So so it's just a blend, you know, it's it's random. Um and I, I'm delighted to hear about other people's children. Um yeah. I get a kick out of the stories that our friends had to tell about their kids of all ages. Um mm-hmm. so we, we enjoy we enjoy spending time with our friends' children. So uh Yeah, I think it's powerful to to hear you say that because I I personally, I agree with you. I think that it's, it's much easier now these days to choose this lifestyle without feeling like you're the black sheep. You, like you said, you have a much more blended group of friends, but I think that there is this fear and I'd be curious to see how you felt about this before you guys made this choice, but there's this fear of like losing your social circles and just being kind of alone in this decision-making process and watching the world go by you having kids and families and, and the fear of that just not kind of coming together with more of a blended group. Like you've come into, there's that, that there's definitely a reality that when you don't have children, you, you don't have some of the connections that you would have otherwise. Um, and it, it's a, it's a definite lack in our lives and we recognize it. You know, we recognize, um, that we have missed out on a great deal of joy and we recognize that there are experiences that we just can't share with friends and family because we haven't, we haven't been there. Um, and so it, it does, it does give a kind of loneliness sometimes to know that you're just not with some of your your friends and family in a in a certain area because you you just can't be and it so it, there is a sadness there um and it can be difficult sometimes but at the same time um we we also know that we have uh, maybe more energy to give to our nieces and nephews than other people might have mm-hmm. um, because they've got their own children that they have to put first and and we don't we don't have to do that. We don't, we don't have children we have to put first so we can maybe invest a little bit more of ourselves in, um, in the children of our friends and the children of our siblings. So it's a, it's a little bit of a trade-off. Sure. It, it absolutely is. I just think it's a really beautiful example that if you make this choice, it, it works out in its own way as uniquely as it does is if you choose to have kids and right. uh, you know, I think that really just owning that decision and stepping into that confidence for the decision process. Um, and 
I don't want to be naive by saying that I, I'm fully aware for a lot of people, it's not their choice and they're not able to get pregnant. And that's, that's a completely different conversation. But for the one that we're having, where you are choosing a child free lifestyle, that it is, um, it is going to be supportive for you when you make that choice and you stand in that confidence. And it just is a a different way of receiving joy and um, connection and social situations and your relationship with your spouse too. Right. I I think one of my favorite memories is about uh, of us working together is when you told me that um, you and Bruce will get ice cream for lunch on the weekends. And that's like one of your favorite things to do. Just, yes. <laughs> I think, well, it's funny because when you share that with me, I think that you were kind of confessing, which I was. a lot of people do. And I, as you know, by now working with me, I looked at that and I was like, I freaking love that. I think that that's, <laughs> you know, that's soul food. That's one of the yeah. best ways that you can connect, um, with somebody without, without. Right. Yeah. And I feel like one of the things that I've really seen you blossom into is releasing that guilt and that shame and really just embracing those experiences like having ice cream for lunch and feeling really excited about it rather than you're doing something. Yeah. Something naughty. (laughs) Naughty or bad, you know? Yeah. 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 We would say, well, we don't have to, we don't have to show a good example to any children so we can go have ice cream for lunch. So, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it is more fun when, when it doesn't really matter and it's not a bad thing. It's not. Yeah. Um, so let's segue into how we got connected because I think it's a fun story and I just have seen so much growth in our time working together um and you as a person and just how inspired you've you've made me just through your own transformation and everything so if you're comfortable sharing can you paint the picture of before we actually had our first conversation about the idea of of working together me coaching you um and just why why you were thinking about that, what your relationship with food looks like at that point, and and why you felt like it was the time to reach out. So so before we started working together, um, I was a serial calorie counter. <laughs> that was, you know, I had um, I had managed to feel like I had a little bit more control over my body by counting calories. Um, I. I was at my largest in high school and the first couple of years of college. And since then I've managed to be what I consider to be kind of a regular size person. Um, not thin enough, you know, for a dancer, but just n- normal average regular size person and feeling too heavy um, most of the time and, you know, wishing my thighs weren't so big and my butt wasn't so big, but um, I just stayed there by obsessively counting calories. And ah, that's such drudgery. And so it's so terrible to spend so much time (laughs) and energy focusing on those stupid numbers. And so 
when we first started working together, that was, that was the thing. Honestly, that was the idea that made me think, I really want to do this. The idea that I wouldn't have to do that, <laughs> that I could just, just eat food and not have to assign a number value to it and tally them up every day. I mean, that sounded like the most joyful, freeing thing. So that was, that was what really pulled me uh, to try something completely different. What, what was coming up for you in letting that go? Because I hear this a lot and I've experienced this myself when I reached that breaking point of there's got to be something else. Like I'm spending way too much mental time and energy and just all of my focus and attention on food and numbers and all of these things. But in a sense, to your point, it is that control piece that kind of perpetuates the behavior. It's the one thing that we know that we feel confident about. It's the formula for everything. Right. So right. What, what was coming up for you when you decided to choose to let that go and just start trusting, trusting yourself, trusting the process, putting some trust in me, all of those things? Oh, I was terrified. <laughs> yeah. I was so scared because, I mean, you know, math is, you can really count on that. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's arithmetic. <laughs> it makes sense. And, you know, not having that, that number, not having, I mean, I was really scared of what might happen if I, if I let go of the numbers. Um, Ooh, yeah. What did you think would happen? Oh, I, 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 I didn't know, but I, it was the only thing that had ever worked before. And so I, I really couldn't even imagine something else actually working to make, make me be a healthy person. But I, so I'm going to be 50 uh, soon. And I just, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be nice if by the time I turn 50, I'll, I can pull myself together and not have to do this anymore. It just seemed like a time when I should just, just, just give it a whirl, just try something different, just have a little adventure in my own mind and body and just try, just try something new and different and see if it could work. Mm -hmm. So I was afraid, but, uh, you know, my, my mom is a, she's a daredevil. My husband's a daredevil. They like to go bungee jumping and they want to jump out of an airplane. And I am not like that, but this, I, I this was my bungee jumping. I was going to leap off the bridge and just see what happened. Yeah, absolutely. And I, well, I'm so glad you did because look at where you are now and, and all of the things, but, um, I, I'd love to be, I'd love for you to just be like fully transparent. I think it'd be super helpful because one of the biggest challenges with taking a leap of faith like that and trust is, and also us working together. I mean, we, we didn't really know each other that well. And, right. um, what was coming up for you in terms of, uh, I, I don't even know, like, how can, how can this person help me, you know, and, and where was the level of, trust in me versus trust in yourself at that process, in that process? Um, well, I think I knew that what I was doing wasn't making me happy. 
And I thought, you know, if this is, if this is a thing that really could let me be free of, of this mind numbing thing that I've been doing for all of these years, I, I I just wanted to be free and just reading, reading what you said about your own story, your own life and, and, um, that it had, that it had worked for you and that, that it could work. And when we talked on the phone that first time, um, you know, just listening to the things that you were talking about and that it would be a slow step-by-step process. But when you told me that you knew you could help me, that, that confidence that you knew after talking to me and listening to where I was in my life, that you knew you could make a difference for me and you knew that your process would work for me. I, I, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't pass up the chance to try it. I, mm. I just had to try. I did know. <laughs> I did I know. So confident. I, and I, and I believed you. And I, and, and when I told Bruce about it, I said, I just, I, she, she just has this confidence and she can help me. And I, 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 I just wanted it. I wanted it so badly. Well, you know how I knew? How did you we, know? <laughs> we, we've never talked about this before. <laughs> how did you know? I knew because you were ready. You were ready to let go to trust in yourself, to trust in this process and to be coachable. And that is for me, when I know that about somebody, I'm a hundred percent. I want to shout it from the rooftops that I I know that you can make the transformation and you did. I mean, look at, look at how far you've come, but it's not because of me. It's because of you. I mean, you showed up, you did the work, you put one foot in front of the other and implemented and allowed yourself to try things, be vulnerable, say, Hey, this isn't working. We need to pivot. Um, I mean, you really showed up for yourself in a big way through our entire process together, which is just such a testament to you. And so I just, I want to make you very aware of that, that I knew that because you were ready. That's, that is delightful. <laughs> I, I didn't realize, I didn't know. I mean, I, I wanted it, but I didn't know that I was in a place where I could make it happen. And I definitely couldn't have done it by myself. That's for sure. I, I, I was wandering around in the dark in the woods, bumping into trees. I didn't know. <laughs> well, it's two, you know, it's two different things. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I will always have my own coach. I will always have my own therapist and support team. And it's just, it's some, I believe in self-help and just getting that support because the, the strategy and the structure and the accountability and those pieces when you're ready and then you have somebody to provide that for you, that's when your life changes. That's when you really take off and can really start to show up in a big way and make that big transformation. But if, if you're receiving all that feedback and that structure and you're not ready to actually implement, it's all for nothing. I mean, you've got to be mm-hmm. there. Your mindset has to be there. So I, I think we just met each other at, um, a really great time. 
And I loved holding your hand through the process. I also am really curious what, what were some things that you were really scared about at the beginning? Like what were some doubts that were coming up for you at the beginning or just throughout that you're open to sharing? Well, so, um, I'm always afraid of failing. That's, uh, just, I think that's pretty normal for women. Um, and, and humans. I mean, we, we don't like to fail. So um, I, I was afraid of that. I was afraid of not doing things correctly because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, which I'm learning not to be. <laughs> um, but that's a process also. It is. Um, so I, I, I think it was, it was fear of failure mostly. And um, just thinking that, that I might not I might not really be where you thought I was or who you thought I was or that I might be kidding myself or that I might, I don't know, that I just wasn't capable maybe of, of changing, that I wasn't capable of learning. Mm. Yeah, it's... And there was, so in the, in the whole calorie counting universe, there's, there's the idea that, that if you're good, you'll eat the right things Mm -hmm. and you'll be healthy. Mm -hmm. And that if you have self-discipline and, and you're a strong person, then everything will be fine. But if you if you don't have self-discipline, if you're weak, then you'll be a failure. And I, I was afraid that I would be weak. I mean, I knew my, I, I knew already that I did not have very good discipline when it came to (laughs) sweets. I've got such a sweet tooth. I love cookies. I love chocolate. And I, I I was, I was afraid of being uh, weak and failing and not having, the discipline and the willpower that I knew I should have if I was going to be a, a good person and a, you know a confident and strong person and lo and behold it's not really about that yes, it's, not, <laughs> it's not about that it ha- and learning that and experiencing that for myself that these things are not they don't have anything to do with it. That was, I think that was the biggest revelation to me was that it has nothing to do with willpower and self-discipline and strength. It has nothing to do with that. And that is the thing that, that makes me believe that even though it's still a process and that, you know, there are, there are ups and downs and, and days when everything falls together and days when everything goes off the rails, just knowing that, knowing what, what it's about, that it's, it's really about being aware of myself and, and my emotions and experiencing them and, and living in a more um, mindful way, that those are the things that matter, that those are the things that are going to help me be happier and healthier. And that this willpower thing, that's just, that's nonsense. But it's, it has nothing to do with that. And it, knowing that makes me feel so safe and so comfortable and so capable 
and I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just a whole new world. I, God, I'm getting chills just listening to you say all of that because it is, I mean, it does, you're no longer covering up with a book. Right. I mean, I still love to read. I read all the time. Of course. Of course. I love to read too, but. Hiding. Yeah. I'm not, not hiding. hiding. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you have this robust emotional toolkit now that you're able to use for so many different situations um, that, and I think one of the things that you just mentioned that is, um, it's so hard to understand and I'm, you know, for everyone listening, I'm sharing along with Sherry because I've been through this myself too. Like we're sisters in this together. You know, I'm a coach. I coach on this now, but I've, <laughs> I'm on this journey. I've been in the trenches. Like I, there's nothing that most people can't tell me that I haven't done or experienced or myself. Right. And so isn't it just so amazing when you start to let go of that control and yeah. open up to the idea of trusting yourself and realizing that it's not about food. It really is about how to handle the emotions under the food as well as the relationship that you have with food and your body and all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was, it's a completely different way of being in my kitchen. It's, it's completely different. Ooh, let's, let's talk about it. How do you feel like it's different now? Like, can you paint a picture of your life now in your kitchen? So, um, so I will say that, you know, part of it is definitely about the food. Um, and what it's more about, knowing what things make me feel really good mm. and just stocking up on those all the time. And I am not a good cook. Uh, I can cook a few things. Uh, I have a few tricks up my sleeve, but in general, I'm not a good cook. I don't, I never had to cook for a family. Uh, my husband is hardly ever home for supper. So, you know, I, it, I was just cooking for me and well, that was, that was often no cooking at all. So, um, but now knowing what foods I really like, what foods are going to make me feel good, what foods are going to give me energy, and just having practiced and tried things and um, having now having my refrigerator and my pantry stocked with the things that, that are going to make me feel great, mm -hmm. um, then it doesn't really matter that my husband's junk food is also in the pantry. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I might have some of it with him or, you know, without him, but it's not, I mean, it's not a big deal because I don't, I don't, I don't need to go stand in the pantry and, and, um, eat everything that's yes. in there anymore. <laughs> Celebrating that no more secret eating. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't even really a secret in our house because sometimes we would find each other in there and just stand there next to each other, eating random things off the shelf in the pantry. But, um, but just not, not needing, not feeling like I needed to do that to, mm -hmm. to escape or to hide or to numb. That's really nice. And also being so satisfied with the food that I already ate that make me feel really good. Then, you know, if you feel good and you feel satisfied, well, then you don't really need to go grazing in the pantry, do you? <laughs> so, um, 
that that part of it has been super helpful. And I'm always looking for you know new things um, and and easy things that I can make that will make me feel good. But it's it's nice to have some reliable stuff I can fall back on every single day um, that is that I know is going to make me feel good and you know, I can have lunch and then not fall asleep because, yeah. <laughs> because I'm, I'm eating in a way now that gives me energy instead of ha- having a sugar crash. So sure. Yeah. I, I think that you've said so many things and just to kind of connect everything together to where I really see this all just truly becoming a new lifestyle for you is this emotional awareness piece that you, you have this new way of actually sitting with your emotions um, and how to process them and a, a toolkit for how to cope with emotions, whether that's stress or anger or sadness or anxiety, frustration, all of these things. And then understanding which foods make you feel really energized and really good as well as the soul foods, like we call them, like the foods that really just like feed your heart and your soul, like having ice cream for lunch and knowing that, Hey, it's probably not going to make you want to run like a mile afterwards or go dancing. Maybe it will, but it's really just like, this is filling me up and a way that's equally as nourishing, but it doesn't feel bad. It doesn't feel wrong. It's really just neutralizing yeah. and it's through just, that emotional connection. It's just one thing. It's not, it's not a big thing. And it, exactly. you know, there are, there are still days when I, you know, and I'm sad or lonely or anxious and you know, that pantry's still there. And sometimes I wind up in there, Yeah, but I don't feel I don't feel controlled by it anymore mm. and I don't feel derailed mm. anytime that I might give in to that that old way of being. It's just it's just a day. You know, it's, it's not just a day. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Moving on and moving yeah. on with compassion. Yeah. Yeah, cuz you know, life's rough. It there are is. tragic things that happen and sometimes it Things are hard to deal with, but you know, um, having some having some extra tools now um, to really be able to to sit with those feelings instead of hiding from them. Um, sometimes I do hide from them. Sometimes they're really bad, and I still hide. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm human. You know, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a part of the process, and you've you've mentioned this a few times, and I just want to echo it because it is such a resounding theme for the work that we do together is this is a journey and you, you know, us coming to the end of coaching does not mean that your journey is complete. It does not mean that it's the end of the finish line. It doesn't mean that you finished a challenge or that there's a really hard stop to all of this. It's really just the path for continuing to learn about yourself and explore and add to your toolkit and recognize when you have some really great days and some days where you do need a little extra support. And maybe that does look like, you know, a handful of chips or a couple of cookies or something. And, yeah. and it's just a, another way to 
show yourself some self-love and compassion in the process without feeling like that's the only thing or to your point, like you're just going off the rails or can have this feeling of control by food. Right. Yeah. And I'm not bad or weak <laughs> or stupid. Yes. <laughs> it's just a day. It's just a day. I think that's, that's been one of the most inspiring parts for me to see in your journey is you've really just embraced that. You really, you know, you had so much joy when we started working together and just, we're just this ball of creativity and inspiration for so many things. But where I really saw you come to life was stepping into that, stepping into owning the fact that this is just one day and this doesn't have to dictate my week or the next few days or the emotional baggage that I might have once let overcome me with all of these things. You know, food doesn't control me in that way anymore. It really is just a part of my life. It's not the focus of my life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that feels really good. That feels very free. Yeah. So proud of you. I'm so excited for you. And I'm just... I'm really, really um, just so grateful to have gotten to work with you. Likewise. <laughs> yes, you inspire life me. is much better now that I know you. My life is much better. <laughs> um, what I'm, I'm curious just with all that we've talked about in this conversation, just zooming the lens back on anything recent in your life or going through school, getting married, switching careers, jobs, friendships, things like that. Where do you feel like there was ever a point where you just felt like, where's the guidebook on this? You know, like what, where do you actually like find out how to do something like this? I, I feel like this just is oh, becoming an adult, but it, I'm curious what was the big day. moment for you? Yeah. That, it's every, it's every day. There's every day. I wish I really knew how to do stuff. And it's, you know, I, as I'm, as I'm getting older, um, I have a lot of friends who are a lot older than I am. And so sometimes I can call on them to say, what is happening to my body? <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, how am I going to deal with this? So it's nice to have some older friends. And then I have friends that are the same age. We're going through the same things together. Um, and it, so it's really great to have girlfriends to just, you know, just ask questions, bounce ideas, uh, complain. Um, but every day there's, there are things that I feel like, how can I be almost 50 years old and not know how to do this? <laughs> seems ridiculous. Like what? What's one well, thing? One thing. You know, honestly, sometimes I, I just want to know how, what is the best way that I can show up for my friends when they need me? Uh, what, how can I, how can I be a support system for somebody who's, who, who's really having trouble. And I, and it's hard to know, you know, how do you know what is the thing that somebody else needs? And, and so I wish there was a book. I wish there was a guidebook to say, if your friend has this problem, do this. Yeah. I, I wish there was, but, but 
everybody's different. Every life is different. Every tragedy is different. And so you just have to wing it. And it's hard because, you know, you just don't, you don't know what to do. But I, I think, I think if we, if we muddle along with love, I think, I think that's all anybody can expect. I think that's all we can do. Well, I'm interested. I think that's such a good point. And honestly, it's a, it's a theme that we talk about a lot on this show is friendships and how they change and relationships and um, knowing when to give and when to pull back and just letting go of that people pleasing and really just to your point, showing up authentically and, and sharing with love and support. Um, I'm curious for you again, if you're comfortable talking about this, you absolutely don't, don't have to go here if you don't want to, but you're a cancer survivor. Yes. Yes, I am. (laughs) So can you tell, can you tell everybody a little bit about that experience and well, in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So I was 35 when I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and, um, it was really scary because I didn't know anything about it. Um, and you just never think that's, you just don't think that's going to happen to you. You know, it just doesn't seem like it's just the chances are slim. And then when you get the diagnosis, how is this possible? Um, and so I was really scared. We had just moved to San Diego and I, I knew a few people and I was making friends, but um, I just, I didn't really have a lot of people, you know, that could be a support network um, for me. And as it turned out, you know, the doctors, I think they say this about a lot of kinds of cancer. They're like, well, if this is the kind of cancer I, I would pick this one if I had to have one. I'm like, well, that's not really very comforting, but okay, whatever. Um, but the truth about the kind of thyroid cancer that I had was that they really did know how to treat it. And there's no guarantee. There's never, you know, a hundred percent for sure that they can, that they can cure you. But I, I was lucky and um, they, the surgery went relatively well. Um, and they removed my entire thyroid. So I don't have one anymore. (laughs) Um, and uh, I, now I take medication. Um, there was a a kind of a weird radiation treatment that was challenging. Um, I didn't have any physical symptoms from it, although some people do. Um, but it was just, the process was really difficult. And I, I was kind of alone. My parents came out when I had the surgery, but then they, they went back home. Um, so it was just me and Bruce and our, our old dog that we had at the time. Um, it was a different dog. And I, I had to have, it was, this is about the food again. I had to go on this special diet um, where you, you don't have any iodine. And iodine's in everything. I didn't know this. It was really hard to. It was really hard to eat for a while. And I think normally you're on this diet for anywhere from two to six weeks, but I ended up being on it for nine because it was over the holidays and there were some scheduling problems. And that was really hard. Nine weeks with no iodine, which is 
iodine is in dairy and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of meats. Um, it's in um, salt, <laughs> all processed food, pretty much. Um, soy. <laughs> so there were no, you know, there are a lot of the substitutions that think you think you can have. So it was really, it's really challenging figuring out how to eat. And there are helpful groups and cookbooks and everything, but I don't like to cook. So that was, you know, kind of a challenge. And um, I was exhausted because they withhold your medication. So I didn't have a thyroid. I had no thyroid medication. It was nine weeks and I was so tired and so scared. And then you take this they give you this um, radioactive iodine and depending on the protocol for different, different facilities, sometimes you have to stay in the facility for a few days. I didn't, Um, but I had to go be by myself. I had to be at home alone Mm. in a room all by myself. And Bruce could be in the house with me, but he couldn't be in the same room um, for a week. So we would, you know, be able to shout (laughs) down the hallway. Um, to each other. Luckily, my dog was really old and they said, it's okay if your dog's with you because um, your dog is so old that it really won't matter if he gets cancer from this <laughs> because he's going to die before it would show up. That was really sad, but that was, at least it was a comfort I had. I had my dog with me. Um, but it was hard being in a place where I was, had, I had some new friends and I was making some friends, but um, I didn't have the kind of support system that maybe you would want for something like that. And just being alone and isolated like that was really, really scary. Um, and then, you know, trying to balance the medication afterwards, it, it took time. Um, yeah. Through it. But well, for some, for someone going through that, I think that this is so relevant to what you were just talking about. And I'm just like, my heart is just, so full that you were able to go through that experience and now are sharing about it because it truly is so inspiring, especially to so many women listening to this who are around that age, um, being faced with that fear. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and I also am curious, you've been on that side, like you've been on that end as a receiver who is looking for someone to reach out or maybe not, but do you know what I mean? Like you've been in that situation where you can kind of write the guidebook. Like what, what did you need? What did you feel like you were missing or would have been more helpful in that situation that if you were writing a guidebook, somebody could read and say, Oh, because I'll be honest, Sherry, that's something that, and I'm, I'm sure you go through that yourself too, but being on the other side of that, it is a delicate dance of how much do I give? How much do I pull back and let them just be with this? How, how do you know when to show up and what to say? And do you send flowers or a card or call or text and how often and all of these things? So what would be a guidebook that you would write to someone else for a situation like that? You know, I think, um, I think the things that made a difference to me when I was, when I was going through it, it was the phone calls from friends um, and cards. Uh, a few friends did send flowers and that was really nice. Um, but it was, it, was, it was conversations and it was talking about other things. You know, it was, it, was not, it was not having to talk about my problems. It was just, you know, just the normal stuff, mm. you know. And, and for me personally, if I had had a network of friends that I could – 
say, please help me. I would have had people cook for me because (laughs) terrible. Uh, That part of it was terrible. But at the same time, I never could have, even if, even if we had lived here longer and I had had a bigger network of friends in the moment, I would never have been able to ask for that because the recipes were so weird and so specific that it felt like such a hassle to ask anybody to do that for me that I never would have asked for it. But boy, that would have been nice if somebody had gotten that cookbook and just made some stuff for me to stick in my freezer. That would have been really nice. Yeah. But I, I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to ask for that. At the time. <laughs> but just that normal conversation and just talking yeah. about anything besides what you were experiencing every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Anything yeah. else. Just, to, just to know that people were there and to know that people were thinking about me and that mm-hmm. they cared. Yeah. I, you know, we've talked to, um, oh, people, girls who have been on this, uh, show for a lot of different things around this, losing loved ones, going through heartbreaks, whether that's breakups or, um, getting diagnosed with something that's uncomfortable or, or anything like this. And it, that seems to be a reoccurring theme, just being there, just showing up and letting it, somebody know that you're thinking about them without necessarily talking specifically to that particular experience and situation, just bringing a little bit of color and real life into their world that, um, can create that happiness and that connection on a deeper level. Yeah. 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 And just knowing that people are thinking about you. Yeah. I guess it yeah. matters. Absolutely. It really matters. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I think that is really helpful. And I, I do think it's incredibly inspiring for you to just share from your personal experience with something as scary and life threatening as, as um, this, what you went through. So thank you so much. And thank you for being here and just being real and honest and vulnerable. And I feel like we just colored in a, in a whole book of pictures. And I, I just really appreciate you showing up and sharing in a very heartfelt way. It really, I just love you so much. I, I just am so grateful to know oh, you. Likewise. I love you too. Thank you so much. It's really always wonderful to talk to you. Mm. I wish we could do it more. It would be nice to not be quite so busy. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. Before we wrap up, I have a fun girl talk section. Okay. Some fun questions. Not that this hasn't been a, a really fun conversation overall, but just some questions that I ask everybody that I'm always interested in hearing how everybody does these things or recommendations. Are you up for it? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I love this question because I know this about you and I want you to tell it to everybody else. What does your morning routine look like? This is one of my favorite things about you. I can just picture you doing your morning. Uh, (laughs) Okay. So, well, so, um, it's all about the dog. Uh, I I, I have to get up and um, take the dog for a walk and, um, then come home and make breakfast for the dog (laughs) because she's old and she has a touchy stomach. So uh, it's all about her first. And then, um, and then I make my breakfast. I'm a breakfast person and I, I always have loved it. Um, and I, I like to have a big meal, um, in the morning, but my favorite breakfast is eggs. And now, um, now I've kind of tweaked it over the years, but now I have, um, 
I have lettuce for breakfast. I have a big salad uh, with avocados and tomatoes and eggs for breakfast every day. And, and, um, Very European and I, of you. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I just have that um, while I drink my coffee and read the paper and, um, you know, try to then stop at a certain time so I can get on with all the work that needs to be done. But if there's a good crossword or whatever, sometimes I get a little stalled in the newspaper. But um, that, that's my morning. Um, Love it. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it feels like a, a good nourishing way to start the day. Mm-hmm. I would say that about you. It just, yeah, it's, it's very cozy. Okay, if you were going to switch careers now with guaranteed success and joy, what would you do? Oh, boy. Um, I... You know, honestly, sometimes I wish that I had been a teacher for my entire career. Oh my uh, gosh, that's so interesting. I know, I know. I said I was never going to do that, but I loved teaching. I really did love it when I was doing it. And sometimes I wish I had been able to have a full career as a teacher. I know it's a really tough job. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of burnout. Um, it's exhausting. and um, you know, you can't, you can't do it forever. It's, it's just too demanding, but, but I I really did get a lot of satisfaction out of that. And I don't regret any of the random things that I've done. And I love uh, what I'm doing now. I'm doing nonprofit administration and dancing. I love what I'm doing, but, but sometimes I do wish that I, I had been able to teach for my entire career. I could totally see you doing that. What would you teach? Oh, French. I, I loved it. I loved, well, I, I like teaching English too, but French is more fun. I could totally see you doing this now. Okay. You heard it here <laughs> first. And I love, I love asking this question because it's like a little time capsule too. Um, okay. How do you define self-care? Oh, so, so number one is the awareness is to, to, to be, be able to, in the moment, know what I'm feeling and what I need Mm. and then give myself that thing, whether it's, um, you know, putting on my cozy socks and snuggling up under a blanket Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, getting outside in the fresh air and taking a long walk or, you know, um, getting out the ingredients to make a really good dinner, you know, it, it, but it, it just depends, you know, it's, it, but it's being able to be aware of what, what I need in that moment. Mm, yes, absolutely. I love that so much. Um, what's one wellness trend that you wish would disappear besides calorie counting? You know, it's like, there's, the wellness trends, they just come and go. They kind of go so fast sometimes. It's really hard to, uh, it's really hard to follow them sometimes. But I think, I think there are a lot of unrealistic and extreme things out there that, you know, a a little bit of, um, middle of the road is maybe kind of nice and, uh, you know, common sense, um, just, Ordinary, you know, getting getting enough exercise, eating uh, vegetables. I mean, these are you know these are the things that we all know are good for us. And so maybe if all the 
if all the extreme things would go yeah. away. That would be really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally, totally agree. Do you have a signature dinner party dish? I know you're not a big cook, but if you were to get invited to a dinner party, what's one thing that you can just whip <laughs> up in an instant and you kind of have in the back pocket? You know what? The, it really, it's just a cheese board. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. I love it. I love it. No, that's an excellent thing. Who doesn't want a cheese board at a party? Um, What's one book or resource that's changed your relationship with food or your body? Oh, um, you know, I don't, I don't think there is a, a book. Um, the books that are, that I find life changing are generally fiction, and they're a more mental and emotional. Um, as but far that's as part of your body and your really well, that's that's true. That's true. Um, you know, novels to me, novels are uh, one of the most important things. I know some people find them frivolous, but to me, um, being able to see the world through someone else's eyes even though it's a fictional character, it is one of the most important human skills. And I, I think um, it's something that we should all practice. I love that. I think that's a super inspiring answer. Okay, last question. What's the last TV series that you watched or one that you would recommend just to help us out with the dreaded Friday night scrolling on Netflix and Hulu and all of those things? Oh, so... Um, my favorite TV series isn't, isn't on right now. And I honestly don't know where you can get it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course I, you would have an answer like this. <laughs> it would be worth seeking out. Well, cause I watched it all. So I don't know, but I absolutely do it. So I love mysteries. Um, and this one was so fun. It's an Australian series. It's called Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries based on books. Of course, it oh, is delightful. It's I've so heard fun. of it. I don't know where you find that either, but I've heard of that before. Yeah, it was on Netflix when I watched it and I'm not sure where you can get it right now, but it was, um, the heroine is just the most delightful, courageous, spunky person and she wears amazing clothes <laughs> it's uh her adventures are astonishing it's just uh it's just delightful and there's going to be a movie uh coming out this spring so i'm really excited about that but i want to i need to find the series i got i got to go back and watch it again because I, I just found it so delightful it was really really fun awesome i'm so glad you said that it, i i want to watch that now i also think that you could be a character in a book, if not one that you write yourself, one that someone else writes about you very easily. And I say that with the biggest smile on my face, because I just think that you are one of the most colorful, full of life, inspiring, joyful, no BS people. You know, like you really, you're a straight shooter and you just have the biggest heart. And I just really, really uh, I'm yeah, I adore you. you. <laughs> yeah, you're a book character for sure. You're I would love to be somebody's sidekick. That would be yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my love. Thank you so much again for for coming on. Where can everyone find you? I know that we're going to link a bunch of your dance um, materials to the you show know, notes, but if people wanted to connect, I, I don't. I don't really. 
uh, do social media because um, I'm very bad at that sort of thing. I, I don't really think I have anything particularly interesting to say every day. So um, really, it's just the, the dance company. It's California yeah. Rhythm Project. Cool. Um, so we have a webpage and Instagram and Facebook. And, Great. Um, we have a lot of dancers in San Diego who I, yeah. I've already connected you with some of them. But yeah, it's, <laughs> Which is so fabulous. Love it so much. Thank you again. I really appreciate you. Thank you. This was really fun. It's so lovely to talk to you. That's our show. Thank you to our producer, Matt Iskey, our show manager, Shayla Anderson. If you want to stay connected to the Modern Girl community and learn more about our show guests, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, throw a five-star rating and review our way so that we can keep spreading the Modern Girl message with more women. And one last thing, don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of the new episode each week. I'm sending you so much love, wisdom, and strength. Talk to you soon.